Uh, so our text this morning begins on the evening of that day. On the evening of that day. What is that day? Which day? Yeah, Easter, the day of the resurrection. It is still that day in our text this morning. It is that day. On the evening of that day, Jesus appeared to them. Uh, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jewish authorities, right? Of course, the disciples are Jewish. Uh, they're afraid of the authorities which have condemned Jesus to death and sent him to the cross. And they're afraid they're going to come get them too, right? So they've locked the doors. They barred everyone out. They're hiding. And on the evening of that day, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus had had a full day at that point, hadn't he? <laughs> right? Uh, we could go through the text, and in fact, we're going to hit some of the high points of Christ's day, some of the things that we know about. Um, but I want you to notice that in the midst of that resurrection day, Jesus acted with, with purpose and also personally. And he was very patient all the way through. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you could imagine just for a second like that you've been raised from the dead. And let, so maybe to put it in our own perspective, we could say, let, let's imagine for a moment that you have entered into the kingdom, uh, that you have died, that you have been raised up again, that you have been given your resurrection body uh, that looks like the body of Christ, that you have the capacity now because you when we see him, we will be like he is. You have the capacity now to, to appear in different places. Time and space don't have the same kind of binding upon you that it does <coughs> upon us presently. Um, you are now in the new heavens and the new earth. I wonder who you might like to go see. I, I wonder what you might like to go see. Uh, the sorts of things that you might want to go do on the first day. All things are new. What might you do? What would be on your list? It's not a bucket list before you kick the bucket. It's like after the bucket's full, what you, you have anything at your disposal. What would you do? I wonder who would you see? What kinds of things would you be about? Interestingly enough, we get to know at least some of what Jesus did on that first day. We'll get to the evening of that day in a minute, but let's go to the morning. Remember, that morning, we don't, we don't get to see exactly what happened when Jesus uh, was resurrected. When Jesus, um, uh, having conquered death, uh, returned to life. We don't get to see, it's not, we don't have a video of that, but we do know that when the women went with their spices, right, that we put down our spice jars last week, when they went with their spice jars, they came to the tomb and the stone was rolled back, and it was empty, and angels appeared to them saying, He is no longer here. He is not dead, but He has risen. And they were overwhelmed and overcome, and they put down their spice jars, which cover up death because they didn't need them, and they went back to the, to the disciples. We didn't get to see exactly what it looked like. Did, was, was there just like a breath? Was there a heart that began to... How did, we don't know how that happened or what it looked like, but we do know that the linens were folded when the women gazed into the tomb, when Peter and the other disciple went in and saw that the linens, the, the grave clothes were folded up and placed there. Don't you think Mary, his mother, would have been so proud? 
Right? He made the bed. <laughs> you know? Like, there it is. Uh, and yet, within that is hidden, within that is hidden a deeper meaning. Uh, it was customary, right, in those times, if you were going to return to the table, you would fold the linen and place it, place it back. And so there's, there's this message that, okay, Jesus has risen. Um, we didn't see that precise moment when it occurred, but he has given us something that we might know he is on the way back. We will see him again. And who sees him again? Uh, who sees him first? Thomas. Well, we see first by the graveside on that morning. In the morning, we see Mary Magdalene, right? Who continued to stay, who continued to weep, who continued to cry by the tomb. The, some of the others have gone back, but Mary is here and she remains in her grief, uh, in her sorrow, until someone sort of comes up from behind her she doesn't quite recognize in the moment and says, why are you crying? And you remember what she says? She says, they have, they have taken away my Lord. We don't know where his body is. And there's that pivotal moment, literally, a repentant moment, a turning around moment when Jesus, who she mistakes to be the gardener, says her name. It's a beautiful and poignant moment when Jesus speaks Mary's name and she turns around and recognizes him. You remember what she said? Yeah. Rabboni, teacher. She says it in Aramaic. Teacher. And Jesus says, look, don't cling to me. I have still yet to go to my father. And so we see in this interaction, and even in the earlier one where, where they show up and the tomb's empty, we see that Jesus has acted, but he's done some things purposefully. He's folded this linen. Uh, he, he comes personally to Mary. Of all the places he could have gone, of all the people he could have first encountered, I mean, would you not be tempted to go back to Pontius Pilate and be like, good try? Or so, you know, something like this. Back to the... Back to the soldiers who pierced your hands and nailed you to a cross, who mocked you, right, and crammed a crown of thorns upon your head, or nailed up the sign above you that said, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in mockery, and said, actually, this was true, and I'm your king too. No, he comes to Mary, the grieving woman that so many people had turned from. He comes to her and treats her with such dignity and love, with personal presence. And even when she didn't recognize him immediately, he is tender, he is patient with her, and speaks her name. But even in that personal address, and even with the patience, he wasn't rushing around here and there to fix everything. He comes to this one, he comes to her, and yet, even within that patience, there is a, a purpose. He says, look, I'm here for you. I'm here to bless you. I'm here so that you might see me and know that I live. I'm here to promise you certain things, but I'm also going to the Father. I have a purpose that can't be clung to here in this present moment. Isn't it beautiful to know that Jesus draws near to you 
and knows you by name and is patient with you in your life and yet is also committed to these purposes which include you but also include a lot of other people. Jesus was raised from the tomb and folded his clothes and then he waited and he appeared to Mary who thought he was the gardener and it was the one who walks with us in the cool of the day in that new creation where all things are being set right. He comes near with patience and speaks her name and he speaks your name. But he had more to do. We're not to the evening of that day yet. No, from here we at least know that he encountered a couple of disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple. We don't know the other disciple's name. Cleopas and the other disciple were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. After having celebrated the festivals and the feast um, in Jerusalem, they're now on their way back home, and as they go, they are, their, their eyes are cast down, their faces are sad, and they're talking with one another. And as they journey, a stranger begins to walk alongside them. And he asks, what it, you know, why are your faces sad? I think he's the only one in all Judea who hasn't heard the things that have been taking place in these last days. And they tell him about the one that they had hoped was the Messiah, that he had been arrested and crucified and killed and buried. This is all they know to this point. It was still that day. And so as they walk, this stranger begins to speak to them about the Scriptures and showed them how everything in the... And by this we mean the Old Testament, right? That's the only Scriptures there. He's walking them through the Old Testament, showing how all of the Scriptures point to Him. Essentially, the stranger is, in fact, Jesus. How all the Old Testament is fulfilled by Him, gathered up by Him, points to Him as Messiah, who, yes, must be arrested and crucified and three days later be raised. He fulfills it. He's showing them. And He takes... You know, we, there are all these different possible sites for Emmaus. I got to go to one of them last year. And there, I, I, I think it's like nine miles, seven to nine miles, something like that, out from Jerusalem. But, you know, there's like six options for where Emmaus could be because there were six little places called Emmaus that distance from Jerusalem. I'm like, who, plan, who did the city planning for this? You know, like, it doesn't seem quite helpful. But anyway, we went to one of these places, and so... Jesus walks with them the entirety of the way. Step by step. He was so patient with them, wasn't he? When's the last time you walked nine miles anywhere? Right? He walked the whole way with them, taking the Old Testament and showing them step by step how it all was fulfilled in the Messiah. And how that Messiah must die and be raised up. How patient that was. When's the last time you read the whole Old Testament with reference to Jesus? He is so patient and He is so personable. What else could He have been doing? He could have been on the lake, right? Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, on a boat, hanging out. The one He walked on. He could have just walked across the lake, right? But no, He is here with these two disciples patiently walking with them along the way and showing them the meaning of Scripture. They reach their destination. Jesus makes as if to continue on, not even forcing Himself upon them here, 
but wanting their invitation to. And they ask him if he will come and eat with them. And so he does, and he takes the bread, and he offers it, he blesses it, and gives thanks for it, and he breaks it, and he gives it. Actions that should seem familiar to those who were maybe around for the Monday Thursday service or celebrated communion on Easter Sunday. He took, and he blessed, and he broke, and he gave. And in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized the Lord. And then, this one who would patiently and personally come to them so that he could be known to them in the opening up of the Word and in the sacrament, disappeared. He vanished. He's, he still yet had purpose, didn't he? And then we draw closer to evening. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being barred where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side so that they might know the source of that peace, where that peace has come from. Only then does the text tell us, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. At first they were a bit, well, you could imagine all the different things they might have felt, right? Jesus shows up, the, do the doors are still locked, yes, and Jesus is standing with them. And then he shows them his hands inside, having spoken words of peace. Then they were glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. He is patient with them. He brings peace, and then He brings peace yet again, and He continues to show you the wounds that He has suffered on our behalf that all might be redeemed. He shows you the open wound in His side near His heart, the place from which came forth blood and water so that we might be joined to Him and be located in His heart. That heart overflows with love that comes to us and gathers us in. He is patient with you even as you still lock doors to your life, even as we still pray and hope maybe peace will come, but all we hear are wars and rumors of wars. Jesus shows up and speaks words of peace and shows that He has suffered already and that He has purpose, which is still yet to bring peace. Now, all of us, I think, on Easter long for this moment where we might be reminded that we will be okay, that the world will be okay and set right, that you have peace with God and we can have peace with each other and that all things will be good. I mean, most of our lives are spent working to try to protect ourselves, to chain the doors tight enough in some way, whether that's working out to make sure we're healthy and death can't encroach upon us. Um, certainly the last two years, Think how much time, you know, the world has spent trying to guard ourselves from disease. Think about the ways that we accumulate things to guard ourselves from lack, which reminds us also of death. We spend much of our lives trying to protect ourselves, lock the doors, <laughs> keep the world out, because the world is a dangerous and a broken place. Don't we all want to hear that Jesus loves us enough that He will speak our name, come near to us in our distress, and say, Peace be with you. 
Don't fear the world. I have already conquered the world. We long to hear that, and it is good news. But there's another half to this encounter, isn't there? The other half goes like this. Just as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. He doesn't let them stay in the locked upper room. He sends them out. And so too will He send you out. He who comes to you and speaks words of peace, He sends you out, but not under your own power. In this new world, you also need new life, and He breathes upon you the breath of the Holy Spirit, filling up your lungs, giving you the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. These are the things that the Spirit brings to you. And He sends you into the world with authority. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven, He tells the apostles. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld, He tells His apostles. That's why we confess one holy Catholic and apostolic church. He imbues His apostles with particular authority. And then He sends them out. I want you to notice that Jesus has not been in a hurry. He's been patient. He's been engaged with people personally. And he's been working in purpose throughout this whole day. The apostles, by contrast, have been hiding in a locked room or frantically running back and forth in a hurry without identifiable purpose and just kind of things being hectic and out of control. But then Jesus gives the Spirit. Then he sends them out with purpose. And here's where I think you can begin to imagine, okay, when Jesus sends me, what sorts of things might I do? And I would offer up for you the possibility that you can begin in Christ's power and by His Word doing the same sorts of things in the same kind of way that Jesus did things on Easter morning. I wonder, who is a person this week who is grieving by a tomb that you could draw near to and speak their name? Who could you draw near to speak their name? Crystal's already given us a great opportunity. Deborah and Jennifer, wife and daughter of James. Or Crystal herself, right? Their family, their friends, this community. But it doesn't have to be necessarily a physical death. It could, some, it could be someone who's barred themselves in by whatever means. Come near and speak their name. Be patient. Don't feel like you have to fix them or fix the situation or get them from this step to the next like that. Come near and speak their name, and love them with patience. Um, you know, how could you commit yourself, and here we are, I'm preaching to the choir with our post-Easter lull in, right, worship participation this morning. Same was true at nine. But word and sacrament is at the center of that Easter day that Christ lived out. How could you give yourself to word and to sacrament more consistently, more readily, more completely, more fully as the place where Jesus promises to meet us and where you can receive Him so that you might also be sent out as bearers of peace. How could you listen for that, that sent word to the people and the places that God has given you to know and to love? When you go by the Spirit, Jesus tells us 
that we will do even greater things than he as we engage in this mission with the Father. That seems a tall order to believe, and certainly we can't redeem the world because we are not um, both fully God and fully man. Only Christ does that, but because he has done that, we have peace. Because he breathes the Spirit, we have power. Because he gives us his word and direction, we have authority. So there's your invitation this week. Um, you know, there's a quote as we think about the patience of Jesus with us and his personal presence. There's a quote from this Sunday school class that we've been talking about downstairs in which N.T. Wright says um, that it might just need to happen in your life that you, you need to slow down enough so that you can catch up with God. Sort of a paradoxical thing, isn't it? You need to slow down enough that you could catch up with God. Let's not be frenetic as a congregation, running about trying to do everything. Let's walk patiently with the Lord and purposefully and in love and allow the Spirit who's breathed life into us to breathe life and the scent of paradise into the world. Here's the invitation. Not in a hurry. Slowly and faithfully and with Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.